I'm Jason. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, again, if, uh, if maybe this is your first time with us, uh, I do just want to welcome you. And uh, we are going to jump right in here to, um, to, the, to the message. And we've been talking um, for the past few weeks, uh, six weeks actually, um, about the idea of being out of control. And uh, as we wrap up the series uh, today about being out of control, um, I really want to look at, at um, kind of a different aspect of this. Because as we know and have felt over these past, uh, you know, 11, 12, 13 weeks, whatever it's been that, uh, that we've all been kind of on the lockdown and, and everything, that the root cause of what is uh, driving us nuts and uh, making us fearful and um, making us maybe depressed and uh, angry and anxious and all of those things is the fact that we feel out of control and that we've had our control in many ways ripped from us. And I guess what I want to propose today is, is that, you know, because things are different, um, you know, there's, there's really been in a culture of complaint in all of this, some of it rightfully so. Uh, but, but at the same time, you know, things being different and things changing, um, we've talked about different ways you can handle it. Is it problems or opportunities? Um, and I'd like to think that we are taking uh, advantage of the opportunities that God is giving us. But what if instead of complaining, what if instead of, of, uh, of just taking that, that position of, of complaining and, and pointing out everything that's wrong uh, as we do, and we naturally do. What if we looked at, at these circumstances and we, and we look back and we ask the Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? Father, what do you want me to learn from this? And so, would we open our mind and our prayer life to the possibility that God is actually using this time to prepare you? Using this time to prepare you because God is always preparing us for what is next. That's the first point, is that God is always preparing us for what is next. If you have your Bible app uh, with you on your phone, or your tablet, maybe you're sitting there uh, with that, um, and you want to pull up the Bible app and follow along with, with the notes, you can find that in the Bible app. Go to events, search for Connect Church and, uh, in Akron, Ohio, depending on where you're watching from, and you can, uh, and you can follow right along with me. And, th and this first point here is that God is always preparing us for what's next. This is an important perspective shift for when we are looking at things and we are looking at circumstances in our life, are we looking at it as just a problem and we're complaining or are we looking at it maybe from the perspective of God is trying to teach me and show me something through this? You know, I believe that this time that we are going through as people, as society, as the church really is God preparing us for what is next. I've seen that in, in so many ways. You know, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about uh, how the things that God did in terms of preparing us as a church for this time now and for this season that we're in now, that God knew this was coming. He was not surprised. We've said this a million times. God was not surprised by this. And he was so not surprised that we were in many ways very much prepared as a church for this. And it's amazing to think about that. And, you know, I have to believe that this time God is using in preparation for what is next. And, and I, I really do. I believe it's big. I still believe that the best is yet to come with Connect Church. And I am more convinced than ever 
that God has used this time and is continuing to use this time to prepare us for what is next. And he's, he still wants to do something amazing um, as he already has. But I believe, as I said, the best is yet to come because God is always preparing us for what is next. God did not lead us here. Hear me on this. God did not lead us here to this place in this time, in this season, in this moment, in this way without a purpose. And I believe that for you individually as well. God did not lead you to where you're at in this moment, in the time that you're in, for no reason. There is always a point and a purpose to everything that God does. Everything that God does is intentional. Everything he does is intentional. And you know, the apostles, they all had stories like this as well. All of them were able to draw on what God did with them and through them and and realize that it was him preparing them for their purpose later on. And today I want to look at the Apostle John. I want to look at the Apostle John, but I want to look at the, at really toward the end of his life um, and, and the end of his journey. And we're going to look at what is basically referred to as the exile of John, because that's what happens to him. Um, and, and so I want to tell the, this story, but, but I want to preface with this, is that this story about John that I want to tell right now, it's actually not in scripture. It's in historical, uh, ancient historical documents, and, and in many ways is known as uh, tradition, we could call it that, uh, tradition of the church, because this story of John uh, that I'm going to tell you right now is, is written... Um, by the writers Tertullian in, in the late 2nd and 3rd century and Jerome in the late 4th and early 5th century. And, and so as the tradition goes, um, again, this, this isn't scripture, um, but, it's, but it's definitely a part of history because there are plenty of extra-biblical texts that, uh, that have different historical documents about all of the apostles uh, and even about Jesus. There, there are some extra-biblical texts that, that have stories that confirm things that we see in scripture. And so this story is really about how John ended up on, uh, in exile on the island of Patmos. And so as the story goes, um, John is, uh, is brought in, he is, uh, he's arrested and, and captured, if you will, and he's brought into this event uh, by these pagans for the entertainment. And the entertainment for this event, and uh, some, some writings say it was maybe a birthday party, um, is that John was going to be executed as the entertainment for this. Um, I don't know what kind of sickos have this as an entertainment uh, piece for their party, uh, but it is what it is. And the entertainment was that he was going to be boiled in oil. Now, John is the last surviving apostle. All of them, and I mean all of them, were martyred for their faith, many of them in disgusting ways. Um, And so the emperor at this time, he's hunting down and killing Christians uh, and, and especially the ones that were known for miracles and especially the ones that were the apostles that walked with Jesus, um, they're known for miracles because emperors at the time were, uh, were thought to be gods. And so this felt threatening to their power very much. Um, and so John is, is, is brought in to this party and he's hung above, above this big vat of oil, a boiling oil. And the idea is basically that they're going to lower him in slowly and torture him as he dies and lower him into this boiling oil. Well, here's what happens. They start to lower him down in, and as, and as he goes in, they're expecting him to start screaming. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't scream at all. 
And he goes in and basically essentially reaches up over top of the vat, if you will, stands up and starts preaching the gospel. He starts preaching to all the people that are there. This boiling oil is not affecting him in the slightest. And this really isn't surprising if you really think about some of the stories we've talked about before with Daniel in the lion's den and all of those things. Is it really surprising that God would do something like this? And so he stands up and he starts preaching the gospel in this party. And people actually come to Christ uh, because of this. And, and so then the people that are there, these pagan people, they're like, well, what do we do now? I mean, what do you do? Kill him again? It didn't work, right? So they're like, all right, plan B. Plan B, apparently we can't kill this guy. So let's just exile him. Let's just, let's just put him somewhere where we're pretty sure he won't be a problem. Um, so plan B was to basically banish John to the island of Patmos. And he is quarantined there, okay, um, to do hard labor. And, and this was basically Rome's version of Alcatraz Island, um, if you want to think about it that way. Uh, Patmos is 10 miles long by 6 miles wide. Um, and the island is very rich in marble, or at least it was at the time. And so um, he was basically in a quarry in, in many ways. Um, and there were other prisoners on this island. Um, and they were all basically forced into the quarries to get get the marble out. Um, and it says that John actually, uh, you know, just lived in a cave. Um, and tradition says that he really viewed this, that John viewed this exile time in Patmos really as a missionary journey. And that he was preaching the gospel to the other prisoners that were there. And people were coming, coming to Christ. But God led him there for a purpose. And while that's kind of a, you know, a crazy story, um, God led him there for a purpose. And his isolation and his quarantine, there was a reason for it. There was a reason for it. And so it's here that we pick up the story. It's, it's right here that we pick up the story. He's an old man at this point, And he is the last surviving apostle. And we pick up the story in Revelation chapter 1, um, beginning in verse 9 is where we're going to be. So in the book of Revelation, this is where we start. John is on this island. And he's on the island of Patmos. And so beginning in verse 9, it says this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Now let's stop right here for a second. It says on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. So the Lord's day, Sunday, he's in the spirit. Now take everything I just told you about how he ended up there, about what was going on with him there. And tell me if you think you would be in the spirit when you're in this place, right? You're, you're exiled on an island. You're, uh, you're virtually alone in a, in a lot of ways, uh, suffering, doing hard labor. You're in the mines. You're living in a cave. And then it says on the Lord's day, he was in the spirit. Now, there, there are some theological things there that I'm not going to get into for a second, but, but let's just think about this for a second in terms of it applying to us. If he can get in the spirit, in the circumstance that he is in, in the situation that, that he is in, then what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? We should be, at, next Sunday, when we get to come together outside in the parking lot for this, on the Lord's day, we're not going to be in a cave. 
We're not going to be living on an island by ourselves, but boy, should we be in the spirit together. And even right now, where you're at, probably alone, maybe with a couple of other people with you, man, we should be in the spirit, communing with the Lord in this time. I, I highly doubt that any of us right now that are watching this have it as bad is what John had it when he was in this moment and, and wrote this passage of scripture. So let's continue on here in verse 10. In verse 10, it says, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters." In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine seeing this? I mean, just close your eyes for a second and try to picture what John saw. Turned around and saw the Son of God. He saw Jesus in his glorified form. Can you imagine that? He walked with Jesus for three years on this earth, and that was nothing, nothing compared to who he saw and and what he saw in this moment. Now, there's a lot of other things that that we could get into when it comes to prophecy and all those things when it comes to the lampstands and all that, but that's not the point I want to get to in in this moment and in, in this particular message here. He sees the glorified Savior in front of him. John was there for a reason. He was there for a purpose. He was there in that moment for this purpose and for this reason. And had those things not happened, had he not been quarantined and brought to this island, this book that we have of prophecy, the book of Revelation that has so much in it, we wouldn't have it. God used those circumstances, that situation to to bring him there. But it really wasn't until he turned around and saw Jesus. Think about this for a minute. It wasn't until he turned around and saw Jesus that his purpose became clear and he was empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit to do what he was called to do. The humility of being in the presence of the glorified Savior changed everything. That changed everything for him. You know, I've heard the word humility defined like this, seeing God, seeing God. Think about that for a second. That may not be the the best definition of humility if you look it up in the dictionary, but think about it in terms of of us as followers of Jesus and in, in the way that we live our life. Think about the word humility and think about the idea of seeing God. Those two simple words. When you think of that in terms of this life, and you think of it in terms of the Christian life, I really can't think of a better definition than of humility than seeing God. Have you ever been in a moment? Have you ever had a moment where you felt like 
you were potentially seeing God. And maybe it's through different ways, but it, it puts you in a place of humility when you do. Maybe it's, maybe it's through something with, uh, with your family. Maybe it's, maybe it's through, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe it's through uh, a, a circumstance that you're placed in. Maybe it's through an amazing worship service that you've been a part of. Maybe it's through just being out in nature. Let me share with you a moment for me that, that was kind of this. Uh, I had the privilege to lead a mission trip to Ireland. And when we went to Ireland, we got to go to this place. This is the Cliffs of Moher. And this is on the west coast of Ireland. And I took this picture. And the picture does not even come close to doing it justice. But I remember being there. And I remember standing there with my wife and, and, and with all the students that went and, and walking up to the edge and seeing this. And your breath is just taken away. And all of those other things, all of the other things that maybe were bothering me or, or that I was thinking through or the details of the mission trip or whatever, for a moment, melted away because of what I was standing and looking at. That in many ways is just the presence of God. Because how can you stand and look at this and go, yep, there's no God. I, I dare you <laughs> to stand and look at something like this in person and not be in total awe and humility of the creator of the universe. It put, every, it, it, it put so much in perspective when you have a moment like that. Have you ever had a moment like that where you just feel like you're in a place of seeing God it talks about in the Old Testament how, how he's in a whisper. But man, what a whisper that was for me, standing in that place. And I could just do nothing but just stand there. When I, when I looked at it for the first time, to just stand there and just pray and just praise God for what I was seeing. It was, it was just unbelievable. But have you ever had a moment like that? Have you ever been in a moment like that, that you were just in the spirit, if you will, and just worship the Lord for who he is because you see him and you know that he sees you? That was an incredible feeling. And that wasn't anything close to what John saw in the book of Revelation. As amazing as that was and so awesome to be able to stand there and see God's creation and then the realization that the God that created this sees me and cares about me. It just takes your breath away. So let's continue here. Verse 17, as we continue through Revelation, says this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then I placed his right hand, or, or he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. What an amazing moment for John in that time. I found this quote by Charles Spurgeon. 
It says this, we are never so much alive as when we are dead at his feet. Think about that. We are never so much alive as when we are dead at his feet. In that moment, when I was standing there at the Cliffs of Moore, looking at that, I can honestly say that I couldn't put it into these words because I'm not a wordsmith like Charles Spurgeon, but man, that, that sums it up in a lot of ways. That you just never feel so much alive than when you were dead at the feet of, of the Savior and the humility that comes over you by being in the presence of God. But think about the truth of that. The physical and spiritual posture of John in this moment is a lesson all in itself. His posture and the way it just says he fell dead at his feet. When you realize that you are in the presence of the almighty, infinitely holy God, you are forced to a place of humility. And we need to realize that though we might, you may not be standing at the Cliffs of Moore right now, and you may not literally be standing in front of the glorified Savior, that he is standing there right now with you. That he is with you. That the helper is, is there. And when we do that, when we realize that place of humility, and we fall down as dead in front of God, and realize how much we need him, and we realize that, that Jesus is there and he bends down and he puts his hand on you and he puts his hand on you and he says don't be afraid don't be afraid be confident be confident because because he's been preparing you for this John fell down as dead and Jesus bends down and says don't be afraid I'm the first and the last. It's me. And I have a purpose and a plan for you. And he is saying that to you and to me. You may be in a place where you're feeling down. And maybe you're realizing that God is standing right in front of you there. And I hope that you, I hope that you do. I hope that you realize that God has been there with you the whole time. And he is saying, don't be afraid. It begins with a posture and a heart attitude of humility and realizing that God's been preparing you and is using this time to prepare you for what is next. But humility begins with seeing God. Humility begins there. It says in James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You want to find your purpose and your reason for what God is doing and has been doing through all of this? It needs to start right here. It needs to start right here. A place of humility before the almighty God. And when we humble ourselves, we understand our place. We understand a whole lot more. Do you realize how often Jesus has been showing up around you during this time. Do you realize that? Because he has been. He's been showing up all around you. And when we do, it changes things and it impacts the world around us, but it starts with truly seeing him. So my connection point for this morning is this. Turn around and see him 
because he has always been in control. John had to turn around and see him. And he realized in that moment who he was standing in front of and what he needed to do. And that was to fall down and worship. Listen, it's all about Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's always all about Jesus. It's about seeing Jesus. It's about realizing what he has done in your life, what he can do through you in any season of life. It's all about Jesus. And when you do that, that, that out of control fear, that out of control anxiety, that out of control depression, that out of control, um, you fill in the blank. Those things get put in check because of the glory of the risen Savior who is standing there with his hand on you. And he's saying, do not be afraid. If you don't have a relationship with him, maybe you feel like I'm not worthy to be standing before God, to even be falling down at his feet. You're absolutely right. None of us are. That's why Jesus came and died so that you can. To give you eternal life through him. God created us to be with him to have a relationship with him. And you're right, we're not worthy because it's our sin that separates us from him. Our sin separates us from God. And there's nothing we can do about that. That sin can't be taken away or, or we can't be made clean by anything that we do. There's nothing you can do to get rid of that sin. It's what Jesus did. He paid the price for you and for me on the cross of Calvary. He paid the price. And that's why every one of the apostles were willing to pay the price because they knew what Jesus did for them. And they were in a place of humility falling down at his feet. And Jesus did that for everyone. Anyone and everyone. Yes, even you. Whatever it is that you think you did or have done. Yes, even for you. Because everyone means everyone. And that life with Jesus can start right now and last forever. It's just as simple as transferring your trust to him. If you're, trying, if you're trusting in the things that you think that you're going to be able to do to gain heaven, trust me, there's nothing that you can do that's going to be good enough. It's only through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's just putting your full faith and trust in him. Don't make it more complicated than it is because it's not. We try to make it so much more complicated than it is. It's just putting your faith and trust in him. And you can cry out to him in whatever way that you need to. There's no specific way to say this or that. It's something along the lines of, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. Please, Jesus, save me. It's not about knowing everything right now. It's about just realizing that you need a savior and realizing that he's standing right there saying, don't be afraid. And if you want to know more about that, you can go to connectchurch.xyz next. 
and you can read more about that. But I would just encourage you to right now, maybe bow your head and pray that prayer if you're not 100% sure. It says in the book of John that these things have been, have been written so that you can know for sure that you'll have eternal life. Do you know for sure? Father, I thank you so much, God, for your love. I thank you, Lord, that, that you see us. And God, I worship you and I praise you. Lord, and I pray, God, that if there is one watching right now that maybe just feels like the world is completely out of control around them and they don't know what to do, Lord, that they would turn to you and that they would put their full faith and trust in you instead of themselves or, or maybe other things around them, God, because you're the only hope for this world. You're the only hope that we have. So, Father, I pray that, that if there's someone that, that really just needs to, to drop their pride and drop their guard and fall down on their, on their face in front of you, God, that they would do that. Lord, I pray that all of us, even if we even if we do know for sure that we're going to spend eternity with you in heaven, could maybe reassess where we are, Lord, because we all need moments of humility and to realize how awesome and powerful you are and realize that you're standing right there. Maybe some of us need to just turn around again and rediscover our relationship with you. Father, I pray that your spirit would just continue to move. Lord, again, I just pray for healing in our land. I pray, God, that uh, steps would be taken to move forward in a positive way for that to happen. And God, I pray for our church as we begin to move forward and how things are, are going to look different, God, because we do need to get used to different. But Father, I pray that, uh, that you would give us wisdom and discernment and guidance as we, as we do move forward. I pray for our outdoor service that's going to be happening next week. I pray for good weather for that. And I pray that you would just be with us as we continue to move forward, Lord, so that we can connect people to you, connect people to each other, and connect people to the purpose that you have in our lives. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.